This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th, and it's making me feel joy and sadness and anger. Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. But I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the show! Welcome to Born 2, also titled as the Born Supremacy. This is the fourth Born movie we've done on Action Movie Anatomy, and the last one currently we're able to watch. We're so excited for Jason Bourne that comes out in theaters in just two weeks. We'll be hitting that one as well. Hang out with us. We're going to break down the whole movie for you, give us our favorite fist pump moments, favorite lines, and a special segment titled Most Hilarious Characters We've Profiled on Action Movie Anatomy. We'll see you in just a second. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's action movie anatomy. Boom! Oh, there he is. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I still don't know any of the words of this song. <laughs> Extreme Ways are back again. Extreme Ways are back again. I think every time we've done a Bourne movie at some point, I start singing Extreme Ways are back again. Just like in the middle of the show. <laughs> it's a good song. It's a very good song. Um... That's Moby. That's Moby. This is his heyday. This is actually post-Moby's heyday, really. It is. This is when you're like, oh, Moby's still around. Yeah. Well, he got famous off the first time they used the song, so... Actually, no, he was... That was actually his heyday when they used it the first time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 2002. Like, that's like the tail-end prime Moby. He was so weird. The music was so weird. The funny thing about Moby, though, is that he... So... This is Action Movie Anatomy, guys. <laughs> this is a show about Moby. It's <laughs> a show about action movies. Uh, we're going to talk about them in a second. But the weird thing about Moby is that uh, he was in that same generation of music that has a, like a middle schooler I love, like Corn and yeah. like Biscuit and like Papa Roach. Like I saw all of them. Nelly. Sh- well, not entirely, but <laughs> really? Come on. I, I saw Moby play one time on a show that Corn played, Papa Roach played. Um, I went to that show and I walked out of the arena when Moby was playing because I was like, this guy sucks. Like, I'm going to shave my head. And he was like up there and he was like, I'm not one of these dudes up here who's like screaming and jumping around. We were like, he's so lame. Like, looking back on it, he was the only sane member like of the, the North- time. <laughs> Everybody, like his music was the only good music involved right. and was like, how am I getting put into shows with Corn? Why is this happening? Hey, Corn was huge, man. They were huge. They were my favorite band. Do you think that he's going to be in the new, in the new one? The new Jason Bourne? Yeah, they'll use Extreme West. They should, right? It's the theme music. Okay, all right, all right. Yeah, it's Good. the theme music. Now that we got all that taken yeah, care of. Yeah, that. <laughs> Welcome to the show, guys. Welcome to Action Movie Anatomy. Uh, we talk about action movies on the show. We are brought to you by the Popcorn Talk Network, the online broadcast network dedicated to talking movies and all things movie-related. I'm your host, Ben Bateman, joined by Mr. Andrew Guy. I'm Mr. Andrew Guy. Very, very excited to talk about this movie. This is... My favorite Jason Bourne. I find that so bizarre. Isn't that crazy? This is your favorite Jason Bourne movie. And I think it's so crazy that we both dislike our favorites the most in the franchise, I believe. Because I feel like you like one and three the most. Yeah. And I like two and one the most. Yeah, it's, it is strange. It is strange. I I find the third movie is the best. Is it's the your best. favorite. And it's, it's, it is widely regarded as the best. 
But I do have to say that going back, watching that first one, we talked about this a bit on the last episode, I was more impressed by the first movie than I remembered. The first one's really good. Yeah, like, it's it's impressive in a whole different way. But mm-hmm. we'll get into all of that, guys. Um, this is Action Movie Anatomy. We talk about action movies here. Those movies generally fit into four basic categories. So aside from being made after 1981, which is kind of a loose rule, rule number one, the hero always plays by their own rules. Any one-man army, like Jason Bourne, does. Yes. Um, rule number two, the hero and the villain are always the smartest people in the room. Whoever the, like, dickhead CIA old white guy who sits in the suit behind the desk. Yeah. Do you notice that the women are always logical, smarter, and less impulsive than the men in these movies? Yeah, absolutely. And it's always, I mean, it's basically always just Pam Landy and Julia Stiles being like, no, yeah. this is not how you do this. Even like, even like a Franca Patente in the oh, car. Oh, yeah. She's like, you don't have to do this. We can just leave. Yeah. Yeah. And, just die, and she dies. But, um, spoiler. So, um, <laughs> shit, shit. I think that's an interesting detail that I was just sort of paying attention to last night. But, uh, nonetheless, that was rule number two, smartest people in the room. Rule number three, the movie is driven by a police, military, or political figure. Um, uh, he is military, kind of. He's like special military. Yeah, I mean, he was trained by the government to be... Government, military. Wait, what is... I mean, it's just Blackbriar and... Uh, and Treadstone? Uh, Treadstone. Well, I thought... Th- so... It's they need super, a cooler name. It's super confusing. Like, so Treadstone's the original project. Yeah. Blackbriar happens after, right? Which Blackbriar. is Blackbriar is made to kill Jason Bourne, right? I think so. Black or to Bri- kill all of them. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Blackbriar is the... We are the sharp end of the stick now, Pam. That guy is such a I tool. I will enjoy my egg white omelet. What is his name again? <laughs> David Strathern. He's great. He's fantastic. Yeah, he's very good. He's a very talented actor. He had a moment. He had a moment. Uh, rule number four, the, the movie contains a minimum of one explosion. There's always at least an explosion in every Bourne movie, but mm-hmm. I think it's just one explosion usually. That's what we were talking about at the last film. Right. There's one explosion per in, movie. In each movie, and in this one, it is... Uh, um, what happens? What, what, it's what's not the when the car crash. Yeah, not the car crash at the beginning. How am I not remembering the explosion right now? I just watched it. Oh, 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 he blows the house up. Yeah, right, right. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Yeah. <laughs> Literally down. just watched this movie within the last 12 hours. Yeah. So um, that is how we break movies down here, guys. We have done 60 movies, I think. Maybe 59 movies, and this is movie 60? Yeah. two watch-alongs, something mm-hmm. like that. Um, you can go and find all of those in the archives on the Popcorn Talk Network. We are somewhere now in the six to seven million total views on YouTube on this show, which is mm-hmm. fantastic. We're very thankful for that. You guys have been incredible supporters for us. Uh, if you want to follow us or the podcast, the podcast actually has been on a, a very steady uh, incline. Yeah, steady. I mean, we don't have much of a Twitter following on the show, but a small one. Yeah. And we've been getting like two to three new followers a week, which for a long time was just stagnant. Yeah, I mean, I think it's actually getting close to like five Maybe. now, which yeah. is huge. It's great. No, it's really fun. But the, the, the beauty of the followers on this show is that they're very involved. Yes. There's no, there's no bandwagon fans. Every Everybody who follows the show, you know, will ask a question, sometimes get 30, 40 responses, even though there's less than 300 people on the Twitter. Yeah, so, and that's why... It's getting us more involved, and it's also, we get new segments. We got a new, we got two new ideas yeah. that we're bringing up this week, yeah. and it's all because of you guys interacting with you guys. Yeah, we're kind of reinventing some parts of the show a little bit. So uh, uh, that is at AMA Podcast, if you mm-hmm. are listening or watching and you guys want to follow along and tweet us your thoughts. Um, otherwise, you can find me personally at Ben Bateman Media. And you can find me at Andrew Guy. Yes. So uh, this is The Born Supremacy, and we are going to watch the trailer.
Boom. Right now. Bring ways and back again. Two years ago. <laughs> this your store? It's a little hard to find. It's not a great trailer. I thought this was the beginning of the beach. Away from his past. <laughs> Never to look back again. Now this is a horrible trailer all of it. Yeah. Never stopped looking for him. I thought there was going to be a third shot of Carl Urban turning around. Turning around, yeah, exactly. The triple take. That's Mark B. Donica, everybody. <laughs> That's our engineer, longtime engineer. How you doing, Mark? Pretty damn good. This is one of my favorite Bourne movies as well. Ah, my man. But I'm a big book no. fan. I like the books just better than the movies. So, you know. Have you really read the books? Yeah, I read the original trilogy. Oh. They took a complete left turn. Yeah, with this yeah. movie. It's a totally yeah. different movie. Still fun as hell. Yeah. They actually, he actually knocked, knocked that guy out. out. Isn't yeah, that amazing? I read that, yeah. Matt Damon doesn't mess around. No, sir. Oh, it's a car chase. Why are they still after me? I don't know. We can play these games forever. Ah. This is not in front of you. you can't Cox. That Cox. Albert Finney. That's a good one. Wow. Oh, Jeff. Oh, welcome to Black Brass. I'll take the roasted Brussels sprouts, please. Some asparagus. Really? I, they're going to show that in the freaking trailer? Pamela Landy. This is Jason Bourne. Bourne? What did I say? If I even feel somebody behind me, I will bring this fight to your doorstep. Trace it. Where is he? Right next to you. Bam. Not a good trailer. No. It's not a good trailer. They gave away a couple awesome parts, and the fact that they show the end of the car chase scene is actually infuriating to me right now. I don't know how it's possible that I watched this movie last night to the end. Uh-huh. And I had like some sort of like a blackout during the car chase. Like hey, I remember the car chase. Like, don't get me wrong. And, right. Like, seeing it in the trailer, but I'm just like, how is it that like somewhere in the last ten minutes of this movie I had like a small blackout? Like it's just not that clear to me. Sometimes they just sneak up on you. Because I said it anyway, this is not a good look for me. <laughs> <laughs> you watch the movie, it's okay. We yeah. we know. Uh so uh guys, that's the trailer of the film. We are gonna kinda jump around today a little bit on the way we're doing things. We're skipping over tagline. Some of the fun segments we've had we've we've been doing recently, mm-hmm. we found as we've been doing these franchise sequels and things, they're not as much fun uh to to jump around with because like things like call it a sequel or spin-off, like they are sequels or spinoffs. Right. Things like recast when it's the fourth movie in a franchise we've done, recasting again is kind of redundant. Or Yeah, it's better on standalone movies. Yeah. Like, you know, like Commando would have been a great one to do all those things with. Yeah. We, we did do the the uh, tagline, but it would have been fun to rename as well. And there's and, and there's plenty of those coming up. So uh, we're doing some kind of different segments today, but what we are going to start with, which is something that we always start with, is a thesis statement. Yes. And this is, this is something we do on the show that if you've been watching for a long time, you kind of know what to expect here. But uh, what this is, is we come up with sort of a broad or bold thought, something about this movie that is big and and really it's like your it's your biggest thought about the film you kind of defend it all throughout the show it should be kind of rooted in hyperbole something like that um so i will jump in and say that this is the most irrelevant born movie <laughs> it's not irrelevant like it's not good 
Now, I'm going to go ahead and just jump in with mine real quick. Just okay. just because I think it'll be interesting. Okay. Mine is that this is the greatest Bourne movie and the greatest version of Jason Bourne. So, please, Bateman, <laughs> back to you, my friend. When I watch this movie, it's not that any part of it feels like it's not awesome. It's that... Okay, so Bourne Legacy, the Jeremy Renner one, mm-hmm. we all agree is about... It's like the stalest movie. Like... Right. Not so the, you're talking about the Damon ones. Yeah. So what I'm saying is that that feeling when you watch Born Legacy is that like everything about this is executed great. It's awesome. He's a really good Born. Like mm-hmm. um, the plotting's tight. The action's awesome. But you come away with this feeling of like it's not that memorable and nothing really happened. Um, whereas the first Born movie is like super iconic and all these scenes when we watched it again the movie stuck stuck with me in such a way where i was like there's a reason that i remember all these lines all these scenes all these moments right the third born movie is like it's the fully realized version of what they wanted the second one to be it's they're trying to cap off a trilogy like everything about it is just is just fantastic like you it's like it feels like the tightest the most evolved the action is sick that the train station opening like he feels like he's the smartest right he doesn't feel as erratic it's weird watching this movie. I was like, it kind of just this just feels like a bridge sequel. The most relevant thing that happens is Marie dies. Yeah. Aside from that, like Brian Cox is kind of just like a throwaway bad guy. Mm-hmm. He's fine, but like he doesn't add that much. Like Chris Cooper was way sweeter. Oh yeah, Chris yeah. Cooper was way sweeter. And like when you do finally meet Albert Finney in the third movie, like he's like the he's like the mastermind. <laughs> He's, like, the mastermind behind all of it, so, like, it makes more sense. Mm-hmm. Like, there's just all these things about this movie, and I was watching it, and I was like, it's, like, scene after scene after scene. It's, like, exotic European location, goes to Russia, blows something up, has a fight with a guy. It's not that the scenes aren't great. The car chase is sweet. The fight with the magazine, awesome. Yeah. It's just, like, this movie, to me, feels like the most sort of redundant Bourne movie, and also the one, it's the one I've seen the least times when I watched it. I was like, there's a reason that I don't remember almost anything about this movie, except for the magazine fight. The and shot the at the beginning yep. and the car chase at the end. And the rest of the movie is just kind of like a head, like, what happens in this movie? Right. It's kind of, it just feels like circles almost. Yeah, it's right. Just like, it's so funny because while you were saying that, I had an epiphany. Yeah. And because I, I don't disagree with you at all in that. I still think it's my favorite one. Yeah. And I think this is the best born. But it's for reasons that, it's almost like the same reasons that I love the two towers the most out of the three Lord of the Rings and why I love the Dark Knights the most out of the three Batmans. And why probably people like Empire so much. Right. The first movie in all three of these trilogies that we're talking about, yeah. Born Identity, uh, Fellowship, and Batman Begins, I, in my mind are the three most important movies in the franchises. Yeah. And the third ones, they have to wrap them all up. Yep. And they're kind of regarded as the worst, although Return of the King is awesome. And but. Supreme and an ultimatum. Yeah, for you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, whereas the second film is kind of like the lead characters just doing what they do best. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? Like just kicking ass to kick ass. Yeah. Like the battle at Helm's Deep, Dark Knight. It's like Batman. Like yeah. that's the Christian Bale Batman that you want. And the third one, he's already like given up. And on the first one, yeah. he's learning who he is. Yep. So the second one, he's like perfect. Well, yeah. The second movie and all these, in all the trilogies, it's always the extension. It's kind of like you, you can't make a five-hour movie. Right. So you don't. So you make you make the two-hour first movie that sells the idea, mm-hmm. and then the studio or whoever is like, we can make, yeah, we'll make two more because the first one was so good. So now you know, you're like, I have all this rope. I really have to show all the best parts of this, the coolest stuff. Right. Um, In the second film. Which is where you get, that's where you get, you get the, on Hoth, you get like a whole ice world, and you get the Luke, I am your father. You get oh, right. all that stuff. Um, 
so I'm with you. I understand that. And, and to that end, you're totally right, which is that, like, you get the most of Jason Bourne at his, like, borniest sort of. Right, because he's like, he knows who he is now, mostly. Yeah. But he's still kind of driven by that rage that he doesn't. No, he doesn't. The third one he definitely knows. The right. The, one, the, the third one he's completely yeah. figured out everything. And the I second remember one, everything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they let you know really quick in the trailer. In the second one, he knows most things. He's like on his way to figuring it out, but he still is driven by a rage of not knowing so much. Right. Including his own name. But he's also knows that he can kick ass. Yeah. So he's got the rage of his dead wife. Yeah. And the rage of this this like not knowing or still. His dead mistress. His dead mistress, right. Yeah. They couldn't get married yet. Franca potente. So that's why I love him so much. Cause in the third one, it's just like, I'm here, I know what I'm doing, I'm gonna destroy you. And in the first one he's figuring it out. Do you think it's weird at all that in all of the billing for this movie, like the on IMDb the second credit, or like when you look on the box and list the top two stars, she's listed her. as the second star. Yeah. It's interesting because it's uh, it's like a bait and switch a little bit because you don't realize she's going to die in the first 15 minutes. Yeah. If you don't know. Um, I think that's kind of interesting because she's really not the second star by any means. No, not at all. And even if she was, she's definitely not the second most famous person either. No. So yeah. I wonder if that was intentional, the way that they build a movie, because you're not supposed to know. I like that. Yeah. I think that's another reason why I like this movie, too, is because it's like there's actually something gnarly that happens in it. Yeah, no, and that's a really – it's a it's a good decision they made to kill her at the beginning. It definitely – It would have killed the movie if she was – it would have killed the whole franchise, I think, if she stuck around. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That could have been another good thesis. Yeah. Um, well, that's interesting. That's interesting we both have our, our, our different theories on this movie. I just – And that we don't disagree with one another. Yeah. But they, they are completely opposing theories. You're like, the, you're like happy about it, and I was like, yeah, I don't like, really need to watch yeah. this again. Yeah, it's true. It's true, though. Um, so, all right. So that's the that's thesis statement. Um, let's move on to our next segment, which is fist pump moment. So, guys, if this is your first time watching the show uh, or something like that. Or your 60th. <laughs> fist pump moment is that moment when you're watching the movie and something happens. And, and fist pump moment needs to, I feel like, be clearly redefined every time we do it. Because recently some of my fist pump moments, as mine today... It's not actually an awesome moment. It's it's not like a that's the that's clearly the best moment of the whole movie. It's yeah. like it's kind of that moment where for you personally something happens where you just have like a yes, this is awesome. I'm so into this movie. I love this movie. Yeah, like yeah, it's just something that you see and it's, it doesn't even have to be monumental. Like mine and this is so insignificant. Yeah. But it's what reminds me of like Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So it can be something huge, you know. For me, like with Terminator Two, it's the it's the the theme music. Yeah. Like that's the what it is for you. So it's like that moment, you know, the shower room scene in The Rock. Like it can be a huge thing, can be a little thing, can be a touching look between a father and son. Um, any number of things, but it's, it's, it's like a moment. Sorry, I didn't, it's not that I didn't get it. I was reading what all of the fans were saying. What were they saying? Uh, no, they're just talking about the sequels and all that and how they're usually darker and more, they have to like cover more ground to get yeah. people back for the third one. And, yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, it's that moment where you're watching it's like, you want to call your buddy, you're like, dude, you gotta put this on. It's so, it's so awesome. Look at this. Uh, anyway, that's what fist pump moment is. So, uh, why don't you go ahead and go first on this one? Okay. So mine originally was going to be when she gets shot. Because I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. Like, holy sh... Totally. What is he going to do now? Like, that was my initial one. But my favorite part is when he's he's just been shot, and, he, and he's, like, stumbling through the, the convenience store or grocery store, whatever it is, and he breaks the bottles, and he, he goes out, and the cops start... He sees the cops pulling up, and he's like, okay, what do I do? I'm hurt. Yeah. I'm tired. And so he kind of starts acting drunk and takes this huge pull out of the vodka bottle. Yeah. And he leans against the cab. The guy's like, hey, get away from my cab. And he, you could just see him, like, look at him. He's holding all the liquid in his yeah. mouth. And then the cops engage him. He spits the, in, the, in his face, kicks yeah. both their asses, and, like, w- 
two seconds. Yeah. And then the cab driver looks at him and he's just like, yeah, that's my fist pump. Yeah. Is when the cab driver realizes like this dude wasn't drunk. He used your car as blah yeah. blah blah. Like it was just that moment of like, yeah, that's Jason Bourne. That's yeah. what he does. Yeah, it's, it's true. I mean, there's a lot of those because like one of the, the other fist pump moments is anytime Bourne has one of those like he's like docile and he like kicks everyone's ass moments. Yeah. Those are always sweet. When he's in the interrogation room and he knocks that guy out, you know that's a that's a super sweet moment. <laughs> um, I think mine though is. We love Brian Cox on we this show. We love him so much. We love Brian Cox. He had Brian Cox had this wonderful run for for about ten years there, um, and it's right in the heart of our like young movie loving days. Because mm-hmm. if you look at the three most recent hits that we'll get to in a second here with uh, with uh, star profiles, you'll remember like all these movies that he shows up in. Because there were some I didn't list, like he's in the Ring. I forgot that he's in the Ring, but he's oh, totally yeah. in the Ring. And yeah. like, there's all these movies that Brian Cox shows up in. So. And you're always happy when he walks on screen. You're like, yep, there he is. There's my boy. Because he's a terrifically talented actor. Yeah, and he never cares about stealing a scene. No, he's just he's one of the famous like middle-aged man character actors. He's just yeah. in everything. And he's super famous. And if I ever, like, He's one of those guys that if I ever meet him on a red carpet, I get to interview him. I'll be so excited. Yeah. Because it's just me. I've seen so many things you're in, and they all mean so much to me. And then I also just want to, like, talk to you. Yeah. Like, what do you, what's your favorite whiskey? Yeah. You know, like, I feel like that guy would be so cool to hang out with. He's probably just outrageous. So, anyway, <laughs> Brian Cox, bottom line is, uh, I just love the first scene you see, Cox, and he's just, like, sitting there at the desk, and he's just, like, so, like, just, like, large Burr. and disgruntled. The phone rings, and, and she's like, it's Pam Land. He's like... What can I do for you, Pam? And you're just like you're so. You probably just like came from. You probably just came from like soup plantation and ordered, and ordered the like the like lentil soup light, but ate like a loaf of bread with it or something. You know what I mean? Like and like and like. Uh, so what I love is when she sits down with him and he's just, and she's like, "Tell me about Treadstone." He's like, "Never heard of it." <laughs> you're just like, "Yes, Cox, controlling a situation. You'll never. You'll never like." You'll never like uh, give away your position of power, let alone to a woman. Cause never, because you're, you're Brian. Because you're Brian Cox, and, and you're he, and you're in the CIA, and you think you know you're better. So condescending. We have to go after him. What does she say? Something next, and he just looks at his watch. He looks at his watch. Look, Pam. <laughs> you don't want to go down this road. He's just well, the best. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, I love that. I mean, there, that's a moment. There's something so funny about that moment of when certain people that you love appear on screen. Like Kilmer and Deja Vu, yeah. Uh, Busey when he gets out of the car and Lethal Weapon, yeah. Completely. But you see these people for the first time in the film, where all of a sudden you're just like, ah, oh, God, you are yeah. just a gem. You're in this movie. I'm so excited about it. Yeah, Brian Cox, man. Hats off to that dude. One of my all time favorites. <laughs> Love him. Um, so anyway, that's my fist pump moment. That's kind of what we mean, guys, when we say fist pump moment. Really doesn't have to be anything relevant. Mm-mm. Can just be. But I think before we uh, before we queue up the next the next thing, which is going to be star profiles, I think we should. Uh, we should do our top five segment of the week. Yeah, let's do our top five because now. I think it relates pretty well to uh, to my fist pump, which is uh, top five hilarious characters, intentional or unintentional, <laughs> we've come across since doing AMA. Um, and this can be—I don't think we need to rank them. I think it's just like when we do top five actors that got fat. <laughs> we can do just top five act, just top. One five. of my favorite segments we've done on the show. It's a good segment. Uh, and this is another one of those ones, guys. If there's a character that you came across in any of the movies we've done that you just could not stop laughing, or one of the ones we name is like just your all-time favorite, tweet at us. Yeah, tweet at us, please. Let us know because the thing is, Andrew's in the live chat usually, but it's a two-man show, so mm-hmm. we don't get to go back and look at the live chat. Mm-hmm. So you guys may have said like the most brilliant, hilarious comment ever, but if you do it in the live chat, we don't ever get to see it. So tweet at us or leave it in the YouTube comments after or something. But uh, let's kind of get into uh, top five before we get into star profiles. Okay. Um, 
I think I have like 15 written down. Yeah. So I'm going to just, we're going to go back and forth. I'm going to try not to, to double up on any of yours. Okay. That way we can get ten, a solid 10. All right. Do you want to go first? Ah, there's so many. There's so many good ones. There's so many good ones. Uh, yeah, you know what? I will, in honor of in honor of this one, I'll go Agamemnon. Of course. I'll go Brian Cox. Ah! Agamemnon, who's it's the same year, actually, as this movie. It's the same year. He's the same weight. Uh, and he's the same weight. And Brian Cox, like, he just... There he is. He is, like, jammed into his king's clothing. <laughs> he's just... It's one of those rare situations where, like... Brian Cox has the acting chops to pull this off without a doubt. The man could probably do anything. Yeah. Really. He's, he is fantastic. Uh, he's not like morbidly obese. He's no. just like a he's just like a heavier set middle-aged man. Yeah. And he doesn't care. He he's doesn't a character care. actor. Yep. So like what I love about Brian Cox as Agamemnon so much is it's just one of those situations where he just like doesn't sell me on the costume. You just don't belong here. Yeah, you just like it just doesn't. Well, a lot of the characters like it's just like Troy is like a movie that I think is pretty poorly costumed. Yeah, it was it was sucked. It was so much worse than I remember it being, and I was so excited for it. <laughs> and like watching Brian Cox as Agamemnon, he's just like, ah, I'm just a greedy king and yeah. I want wives and like it's just, just evil. He's and, just evil incarnate, and you just like love how much he hates Brad Pitt. <laughs> he's just like Damn so, Achilles. He's just so annoyed by him. So yeah, I love Brian Cox as Agamemnon. It's very similar to the Tavington relationship with uh uh Yes. What's his general what's his name? I can't remember. Oh, in the Patriot? In the, the Patriot. That, I can't uh, remember that Wilkinson plays. Wilkinson plays. Yeah. Damn him, damn that man. Damn him. Alright, so then you know what? I mean with basically for all the exact same reasons. Yeah. I'm gonna have to go with Bennett in command. Oh, Vernon Wells. Vernon Wells. For all to say, like, you do not belong here. You're wearing chain mail that's You're two wrong. sizes too. Me and Matrix could take apart this whole outfit. Like that. Like that. <laughs> Who are you? Why are you intimidated? Like, their fight at the end, it just... I had forgotten how absurd Bennett was. You're Freddie Mercury in Commando. But like 60 pounds heavier. And it's like, I, we, we shared this on Commando, but for those of you that like don't know what <laughs> happened, uh, apparently Vernon Wells replaced the guy that was supposed to play Bennett last minute. Significantly smaller. So all his clothes are like super, super tight on him, which is like, he's not even like a big dude. He's no. just like, just looks fat. Because it just makes <laughs> <laughs> I know the whole time I was watching it, I was like, what is going on? And then why? the next day you're like, ah, well, here's the reason. He like looks like he's wearing eyeliner for like most of the movie. Yeah. I think he probably is. I'm sure he is. <laughs> it's a weird character. Weird dude, man. Um, all right. I'm going to go with one of my favorites, which is uh, Mr. Joshua in Lethal Weapon. This is one of our favorites of all so time. Toothy. So toothy. This is the amazing scene when he steps out of the limo in the desert and uh, they've got they've got Officer Murtaugh's daughter. And, uh, and Murtaugh's like, if she's going to die, she's going to die my way. And Busey steps out. And he's like, Officer Murtaugh, don't be foolish. Look at the hardware. And it's just the, he's just got the white hammer, it's like the white sweater and the maroon collar, and he's got the hammer pants. He looks like he belongs in heaven. His teeth are so white. Everything is so, his teeth are whiter than his all-white yeah. shirt, pant, yeah. scarf combo. He's just unbelievable. He Mr. is Joshua. beautiful. He's a beautiful man in that movie. <laughs> yeah, really. I love that one. All right. Uh, I'm going to have to go with... Um, oh, you'll, you'll like this one. Arnold. Oh, yeah. In Predator. That's a good one. It's, it, and, and it's not that I don't like Predator. Yeah. I don't like Arnold in it. It's just that 
We've talked about this numerous yeah. times throughout the show. His conviction when delivering his lines. Oh, yeah. Now, how bad they sound. Yeah. But, but his confidence <laughs> in saying them is amazing. Unbelievable. Do you have any examples of this? <laughs> Russian cabinets went over the border four days ago. This cabinet minister, does he always travel on the wrong side of the border? <laughs> Damn it, Dylan. Damn it, Dylan. So you cooked up a story and threw the six of us into a meat grinder. What happened to you, Dylan? So here's so recently uh, we're gonna so we've done two each here. We'll get yeah. back to the final three. But I was watching um, any given Wednesday, which is Bill Simmons' new show okay, yeah, on yeah, HBO, yeah. and he had Bill Hader on as a guest. And he asks Hader, uh, "This is this is my opportunity to, by the way, just retell a story I saw, which is not something that's usually good in comedy, but it's so good and it relates so much that I feel the need to do it." And we love Arnold, and we always like to hear good things about him. Yeah, and shout out to Bill Hader for telling this amazing story. But, uh, <laughs> so he's like. Simmons is like, so I heard you did like a lot of odd jobs and things in Hollywood before you, uh, you know, made it. And he was like, yeah, what's the weirdest one? He's like, well, I was Arnold Schwarzenegger's PA on the movie Collateral Damage. And um, I wish I saw. Have you seen Collateral Damage? Oh, it's yeah. terribly oh, good. Oh, three. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, he's like, really? What's your most bizarre Schwarzenegger story? He's like, well, there's this one day we're in the, we're in the, in the jungle. We're in Colombia. And we're, and Arnold has a grill out. He's just grilling in the middle of the jungle. <laughs> and... Uh, and he's just sitting there, and there's bugs flying around, and he's like, he's just like moving around the meat. And we're sitting silently, and he looks over, and he says, "This is the same jungle we shot Predator." <laughs> and he's like, and Hater's like, ah, and he's like, it's like super bizarre. Schwarzenegger's like, I, I had, I had schnitzel flown in for the whole crew, and he's like, Hater's like, huh. So he's like, and then he just starts naming people from the movie. <laughs> Bill Duke, he ate the schnitzel. Jesse Ventura, he ate the schnitzel. Uh, Carl Weathers, he ate the schnitzel. Uh, John McTiernan wouldn't eat the schnitzel. He wouldn't eat the schnitzel. <laughs> he's like, <laughs> offended. Yeah, he's just sitting there moving meat around. Some bugs flying around. Hater said it's like the most ridiculous experience. I just, I just like couldn't, I couldn't stop laughing. I, just guys like that in comedy just find themselves in the most amazing situations. Oh my god, that is. If I could be Arnold's PA, that would be incredible. Yeah, but he took it as like an odd job trying to make money in the middle, you know. Yeah, of course. And this is this—that's amazing. Yeah, this be- I would try the schnitzel. Bill Duke, he ate the schnitzel. He ate the schnitzel. <laughs> Just Ventura. Uh, all right, so start profiles. This is—we oh, no, we have we only went two through oh, our we top did. five. We, we did. got we got more to do. Oh my gosh, I got so distracted by the story. All right, yeah. it's your turn. Uh, so I did. I did. Uh, you did Vernon Wells. Mm-hmm. I did Agamemnon. Yep. Um, what, I did Arnold. You did Schwarzenegger. Uh, who, oh, I did Busey. <laughs> In, uh, in Lethal Weapon. Um, I'm also, so let's see, I'm going to jump ahead with, um, oh, there's so many good ones. All right, all right. I'm going to go Simon Phoenix in Demolition oh, Man. Just incredible. Just amazing. Simon says die. Die? <laughs> I've never seen such a convincing acting performance from Wesley Snipes. The most convincing. Yeah. He was so committed to this character. So committed. His the karate scene. The karate scene in the like in the public area near like the payphones. When the music turns on, it's like bow, bow, bow. Yeah. yeah, and he like kicks everyone's ass. Is definitely that's the that's the that's the best scene of the movie. It is incredible and yeah. hilarious. Unbelievable. Yeah, very uh, good. On that same note, because it's a person taking a role and just running with it. Yeah. I gotta go Chris Tucker in Fifth Element. Oh my god, one of the all-timers. Like, between the two of those guys, those might be the two best on the show of, like, committing to a character and just owning it. Well, I mean, we've said it before, but, like, it either ruins the movie or makes the movie what it is. I right. can't quite decide. 
You know, we're going to probably get to talk to Luke Besson at uh, San Diego Comic-Con this year. Oh, yeah. Because he has that new sci-fi epic coming out. Yeah. Uh, we're trying to get press coverage for that. We're talk to him. We'll have to talk to, talk to Besson about his choice to direct Tucker that way in the film. Yeah, because a lot of people, when we were going back and reading the reviews, were saying that they felt like it ruined the film and it really took away from it. Whereas you and I yeah. feel like, and most people, I believe Mark is one as well, that yeah. just thinks it's perfect. It's it just fits in that world so well. It's part of the absurdity of that movie. Like, it's just hard to imagine. Like, that movie is just, like, so ridiculous. Right. So why not push the envelope? Yeah, absolutely. You know? Absolutely. So you go Tucker. Um, I'm going to go with, uh, with a favorite of mine, a guy who's fucking awesome. Fucking awesome. <laughs> Ryder! <laughs> and that is uh, that is the, the character Ryder, played by John Travolta in The Taking of Felon 123. My face hurts right yeah. now, just from smiling, thinking yeah. about how ridiculous all these people were. Um, I have several times now, like, I do this sometimes, where I, I, there's a scene I really like, and I watch it on YouTube a lot. Uh-huh. The scene, our favorite scene from oh, Taking the Felon. So good. I watched like four or five times the last few weeks. It's just so good. You've watched that four or five times in the last week? <laughs> yeah, I've put it on driving a couple times. <laughs> Safe thing to do. I'm sorry, officer. I was watching. Look, just watch this scene. Just with me watch real this quick. scene with me. I guarantee you'll be convinced. Um, it's just he's just so absurd. Like the, I love the fact that Travolta agreed to do it. Yeah, I love the fact that at the point in his career he was, he agreed to do it. He's like kind of ch- he's like fat and balding. Yeah, he's and, like chubbier and and like covered in tattoos. He hadn't been in movies really. Yeah, he had had like a little bit of a break and like. I, I'm telling you, I think that, that movie is like an uh, that's like an underappreciated cult classic. That, it like, is. I think it's much better than people are willing to give it credit for. Have you seen From Paris with Love? No, I never watched it. Me neither. Yeah. But I feel like we should watch it just so we can yeah. watch Travolta do it again. I feel like that would be a good a good plan. <laughs> it's a good life decision for us. Yeah, definitely. So there's Ryder. Uh, I'm gonna go with, um, oh, dude, Mr. Busey in Under Siege. Oh yeah, <laughs> and, and I love it because you like you followed. <laughs> You know Busey better than almost anyone I've ever I met in my life. I know Busey like the back of my hand. And you're like, it's funny because you can see that this is the beginning of his transition <laughs> into insanity. When he comes out cross-dressed, yeah. and you're like, why is this happening? Why is this? There's no Everyone's purpose like, for this. this is so funny. It's like, oh, this is great. <laughs> like, uh, if I was actually there, that'd be like if our boss, like Stephen. Yeah. That'd be like if our, Stephen Lemieux at a Christmas party came out as a cross-dressed yeah. person in a wig. Funny you should say that, Stephen. <laughs> I'm kidding. Totally kidding. Well, yeah, like, it'd be because like his plan is to is to like distract everybody and then go like shoot the captain. Completely unnecessary. He could have just like actually not done a cross dressing gimmick and just shot the captain. Yeah, because he just, he didn't bring the attention of everyone on the entire fucking boat to him. Well, if somebody else shot the captain, maybe it would have made sense <laughs> during that moment. Yeah, yeah, but not the case. No, he's like, I'm gonna go cross dress and then I'm gonna kill him. Give me like two minutes. Does he have a gun hidden under his cross dressed outfit? Maybe. I, yeah, I think so. But he he could just have a gun. He's like second in command on the ship yeah sir why do you tolerate that clown <laughs> there, Busey's drawl is also one of my favorite things about him it's his it's his drawl with the size of his teeth in yeah. his mouth there's something really special is that five each I think that might be five each I think that's four each I did Phoenix I did Agamemnon I did Ryder mm-hmm. I did uh, uh, oh maybe okay maybe that is just four there's one more there's one more uh, let's see Oh, this is a tough one. I feel like I gotta just we gotta just go for the triple threat here, and I'm gonna go Gary Busey and Point Break. Uh, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Let's just talk about Gary Busey roles, really, <laughs> because Busey and Point Break is like one of my all time favorites. Like that's where I think that's where Busey shines the brightest. Yeah, you know where like when you first meet him and he's standing there. At this point, 
it's literally only four years after Lethal Weapon, but he's let himself get, like, very fat Significantly again. Significantly overweight. Yeah, he's got, like, a very, very large belly. And when you first meet him, and, and Keanu walks up to him, and he's like... And he's like, uh... <laughs> he like pulling rocks? Yeah, and he goes, he goes... I've been in this bureau 22 years. I fired my piece over 19 times in the line of duty. I got no idea what a blind man fishing bricks off the bottom of the pool has got to do with being a federal agent. <laughs> to add to which indignity, I've been saddled with some blue flamer Quantico cat. Some some Johnny Unitas or something. And Keanu's like, the shit they pull. He's like, yeah. You're telling me. <laughs> the guy goes, Angie, it's your guy. He pulls the thing off and he's like, Pappas. Angelo Pappas. Punk. Quarterback punk. He goes, two bricks coming up. Welcome to SeaWorld, kid. Then he, he jumps off the dime, he jumps on the dime, yeah. he's like, wow! <laughs> he throws his body off. It's so fucking good. You know what? I'm gonna bow, I'm gonna leave that as the is the ultimate last one. Okay. I think it's a perfect one to finish on. It's fair. Three Buseys in a row. Yeah, you like that I've seen the movie so many times I can just verbatim just quote like I mean that I could literally see everything that was happening in the yeah. movie while you were saying it. I, there's certain movies, certain ones. Like Gladiator's probably like that for you. Oh, definitely. There's a few on this list. I for think me. I've seen Point Break sixty times. So like, yeah. Yeah, Gladiator I've seen a lot. Last Samurai. Yeah. yeah. There's there's plenty of them. A number of times. So uh, that is that section, guys. I hope you're still interested in the rest of the show. Uh, <laughs> we have taken the majority of our time already and we are not even to star profiles nope um so let's get into star profiles matt damon at this point in his career 2004 uh he was 32 years old when they were filming this movie i believe Mm -hmm. um you can start to see the age in his face a little bit i noticed when i was watching this um it seems it seems like he aged actually like more than a couple years there yeah isn't it crazy how I don't know. I don't know if it's because we're getting older. Yeah. But for me, when we see, because like we love Grizzled Cruise. Yeah, of And course. Grizzled Born and the new one. Yeah. Like there's something that's so awesome about them aging. That's oh, yeah. great. Definitely. And I need it to keep happening. Yeah. <laughs> I want well, to like they're 60. Up, right up to the point that like they sto- they stop being convincing. Yeah. And like just they're like, they're like Pullman in Resurgence. Yeah. Or Their like, voices get all kind of yeah. weird. Oh, God. His poor voice. Oh, Pullman. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so this was like an interesting time in his career because he was... He was like a list, but not. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Because like we talked about this before, but like basically you've got Goodwill is ninety eight, and he mm-hmm. had had he had had a, a string of bit parts then. So then following ninety eight, he's got a few years of like talented Mister Ripley and like really establishing himself as like a talented young actor who was being in all kinds of stuff. And then Born comes along, and that's his first action movie. Yeah, it was the and first time that he had done something. Like he he'd covered all the bases by that point. It's also when you when you consider the um, the parallel careers of he and of Ben Affleck, who, and for a long time they were really only associated together. Mm-hmm. Um, at that point, you know Ben Affleck was a year or two off of, of uh, Pearl Harbor. So right, so he was doing like paycheck and things like he that. He was kind of right? getting in. He was getting right into that bad stretch, the Jennifer mm-hmm. Lopez stretch. Um, which is actually another hilarious thing. You guys should watch Any Given Wednesday because there's a 10-minute rant that Affleck just curses up a storm. He says fuck like 23 times. All about Jennifer Lopez? He talks about that. He's very he's like self-deprecating about like yeah. how bad of a decision it was. And then he also talks about uh, Deflategate and how annoyed he is about it. He like seemed pretty <laughs> drunk, actually, as a lot of the reviews said. But um, anyway, not, nonetheless, at this point, uh, Damon was definitely in this like because his movies here stuck on you 2003 weird comedy mm-hmm. euro trip 2004 comedy jersey girl 2004 like right in euro trip he's literally just a cameo that sings a ridiculous song a yeah. couple times which is hilarious but oceans 12 i think is like right around here like the, the oceans franchise was probably over within a couple years of this i think it had ended by like 06 maybe or 07 um we, when we covered ultimatum a few weeks ago 07 is like right in that 
he is sec- like securely an A-lister. Yeah, at that and he's point. and that's when he's about to start, or that's when he's gunning for his Oscar, right? He doesn't need to Invictus like right after, right within around there. A couple years, yeah. Because like also like <clears throat> again, like within a couple years of this, he does that movie, the CIA one, directed by Robert De Niro, The Good Shepherd. That's like, oh right, I think yeah. that's like oh five oh six. So yeah, this is this is very much when the world was was beginning to accept Matt Damon as like an A-lister. Is there a party that feels a little weird, by the way, about seeing these young guys now who seem kind of like kids who are getting good parts in like premier Oscar roles like uh, Miles Teller has like an Oscar role this year Daniel yeah. Radcliffe has like an Oscar role this year um, it's weird to me to see these guys who like a few years ago seemed like they were just coming on well it's interesting because my mind's getting blown as you're talking over yeah uh, and I keep thinking about this show and, and we've been doing this for so long we've watched so many of these leading men's career arcs and it seems like so many of them, you know, they come on the scene however they do. That That's always yeah. different. Yeah. But then they, you know, they do all their bit parts and then they try to do romantic comedies and then action movies. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I feel like now <clears throat> with something about the entertainment industry and how serious you need to take yourself if you want to be a leading man. Yeah. You know, you can't really do those type of like dumb rom-coms. Like you look at Chris Pine, you look at Tom Hardy, Ryan Gosling, like all these guys that are like A-listers. There's only like one in there. Or two in there. You they know what I mean? Rom-coms? The stupid movies. Whereas I feel like in the 90s and the 2000s, you were kind of given more leeway, more slack. You could do a bunch of weird movies like Euro Trip and Stuck on You and Jersey Girl and Dogma. You know what I mean? Well, it's the, we, we, <clears throat> we talk about this almost every single week. But the reason for that is because as, as we moved into the digital red box culture, there are less and less of these B movies that get promoted like A movies. Like right. those movies you're talking about in the, in the 90s and the mid 2000s would get promoted as though you you should go see this movie in the like, theaters. Yeah. yeah, like like this leading man, like you know Brad Pitt is like a leading man. Go see the Mexican, right? Or mm-hmm. like you know you should go see this. I mean, Mr. and Mrs. Smith is kind of an action movie, but uh, like it's like you have to sell the movie more now. Yeah, you basically have franchise movies, mm-hmm. and other than that, if, it, if it's like if you can get it, even even movies that have like huge casts are straight to video sometimes. Yeah, I mean like yeah, a great example, and it, it's interesting because the Coen brothers are kind of an anomaly in themselves. But Hail Caesar, yeah, <clears throat> love the Coen brothers, Massive love what cast, they do. Massive George cast, Clooney. fan of everyone in it, no interest in watching it. Yeah, and it was promoted as though it was like a digital release. Right, I saw it in theaters, but like. Again, like it's very, very weird to see the transition, and, and that's what you're talking about. Even those movies that I'm okay, Spotlight won the Oscar last year. Spotlight was a movie that if it hadn't started getting Oscar buzz, no one would have seen. Right. Like I just, I don't, I didn't hear about it coming up. It wasn't a movie that I thought was going to be in contention. It just kind of like was a total surprise. So like, I definitely think it's we're we're in an era now where where marketing is responsible for almost everything. Yeah. Almost everything. Yeah, because imagine if movies that were huge back then were marketed correctly towards, like, the the general demographic. So many of those indie movies that were just rolled over through the years yeah. would have gotten Oscar nods instead of, like, I mean, maybe Julia Roberts movies. Yeah, know? right. Totally. Not knocking on what she did, but I'm just saying there's a lot of movies that get, like, like you said, Spotlight, if it wasn't marketed correctly and it didn't get the Academy buzz... I would have never heard of it. Yeah, right. Completely. Yeah. So uh, anyway, guys, let's get into star profiles with Brian Cox. Uh, because Cox, this is that stretch we're talking about. The 25th Hour, 2002, Spike Lee mm-hmm. movie. The last, not the last, but one of the last relevant Spike Lee movies um, before he really started to tumble. Um, X-Men 2, 2003. Did Norton get the Oscar nod for that? No. He did not get a nod? Pretty sure he didn't. I don't, huh. I don't think so. Um, X-Men 2, X-United. 
uh, as I think people have tried to forget that it was ever called. It's really good. Really good. 2003, which he plays Stryker, William Stryker. For a long time, that was considered the best superhero movie until they started to kind of reinvent yeah. the expectation. Is, and we're in this current era. And he era. was sweet. He's great as Stryker. Yeah. He's awesome. Really good. Um, Troy, 2004, we played Agamemnon. And then he's in... <laughs> He's in this film, and I mean, like I said, around that time, you know, he's in The Ring. He's in a bunch of other movies. Like, Mm -hmm. if you pull up his IMDb from, like, 98 to, like, 2008, I feel like you see, like, all these movies that you distinctly remember watching. Right. Um, He's just that guy. Oh, he's an adaptation. He plays uh, right around the same time. He plays the the screenwriting guy who's, like, giving the seminar that Nick Cage is taking. I think the thing with him is that everyone knows he's so talented. McKee, something McKee. Yeah, keep going. And he can get put in any movie and fill any role well. <clears throat> but there's something about him that isn't a leading man. And he's been given that opportunity a few times throughout his career. And it was funny. They did it again in his older age with the movie Red. Not the mainstream movie Red with Malkovich and yeah. uh, Mirren and all them. There's another movie with him. It's just about him and his dog and him living out in the country. And yeah. then these like shithead college kids kill his dog. And it's about him getting his vengeance. And he's the leading man in it. Does he kill them all? Uh, he, he gets them pretty good and their family and all that. It's, it's pretty, it's, I mean, it's not a bad movie, but you do watch it and you're kind of like, ah, it was all right. Right. I I don't really want to watch it again. It's not memorable. There's a lot of those guys, man, that that's just, that's the, but I will say I am more impressed by Brian Cox's career than 90% of leading men that have existed in our time. Absolutely. And and it still doesn't mean that his time hasn't come. I mean, look at JK Simmons, look at Brian Cranston. You can really hit, I mean, Brian Cranston with Malcolm in the Middle, that was probably what he thought was going to be the top of his career. Biggest thing. Massive. And then he just falls off. Cox must be in his late 60s now. Yeah. He's got to be. He's yeah, got to be. Sure. Um, so in any case, that uh, that is Star Profiles. Let's continue to move through this here. A uh, couple, couple notes. The reason that we are giving ourselves a little less time to talk about production on this film is we've talked about these same people for the franchise mm-hmm. a bunch of times. So we will, we will breeze over those things. Um, most important things to remember. The firstborn book, The Born Identity, was adapted not faithfully to the first movie, but somewhat. Right. After that first one, none of the books, uh, the Robert Ludlum novels, actually have any bearing on the movies. Um, is that correct, Mark? The second book is like completely different? Oh, yeah. No, you could do an entire trilogy just on one of the books, let alone try to adapt. Right. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it was like the original script had the USSR in it because yeah. it was trying to pull from the books, but the books were so dated. Oh, yeah, you know, so they had to have, they had to bring in uh, Helgland. Yeah, Brian Helgland, who's awesome. Who's like Brian Helgland's like very established. He worked a lot with Tony Scott on a lot of those uh, Pelham. Pelham, I think he wrote Pelham. I yeah. think he wrote, <laughs> which is, I mean, what else could you do that's better than that? <laughs> I think he just wrote and directed Legend, the new Tom Hardy with the Cray Brothers. Okay, I, I think you might be right. That was him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it doesn't follow the books well at all. I mean, luckily for uh, Mr. Ludlum there, they're going to just keep making movies with yeah. Bourne as a character, and he keep getting paychecks. Uh, Paul Greengrass. Now, he... Okay, so there there's a, a quick little trivia bit that I read, and that was that the average scene take... It's like less than two seconds. ...is 1.9 seconds. Yeah. And I'm so sorry, audience, that I just told you that, because it's going to fucking ruin this movie for you. Yeah. Because I... Went back and re-watched like 20 minutes of it today. Yeah. Just because I want to watch the car chase scene again and something yeah. else. And I sat there and it was like, one Mississippi, two, one Mississippi, one Mississippi. Like I did that yeah. for like 20 minutes. Tons of fast cuts. They're all two-second cuts. Yeah. The, the longest scene cut, 
was right after the car chase ends, and it's it's uh, underwater. It's him walking. No, oh, it's Damon oh, oh. walking in the tunnel, and he's got the shaky cam, and yeah. he's like walking up to the car. It was like a six second shot because that's how it ends, and the third one picks up right there. No, no, no. The, uh, the, this one ends with the phone call with him and Landy talking. Right. He's on the roof. That's it. Yeah. So yeah, it's yeah. basically car chase ends, calls Landy, cuts. Yeah. yeah so right. essentially, yeah. But yeah, so that was one of those things. So Paul Greengrass, how do you feel about him? Because I know that you like. Well, I like Greengrass. I mean, so Greengrass was a guy who who. He's super, super, super smart. That's one of the things about Paul Greengrass. And he, he's had a, a very interesting career. He did a movie called Bloody Sunday in 2002 when Frank Marshall, who's Kennedy Marshall, super, super, super yes. famous producer, the biggest name producer on all these films, along with Patrick Crowley, uh, he chose Paul Greengrass based on the success of Bloody Sunday. He liked that movie a lot. That was made in 2002. And he wanted somebody who was kind of a little more of an indie or an art house director to do the next Born film. Mm. So he chose him for supremacy. Um, he, Greengrass has gotten away from it a bit more now, but he is definitely known for that shaky cam, fast cut, kind of gritty, very industrial feel to his... Does it bother you as much as it bothers most people? Uh, not so much, but again, like there's, there's a part of this movie that the reason that I think I feel the way I do about it is that I think some of his style got exposed. People mm. talked about it a lot after the fact. And in, in the end, the third movie is the better movie because it's not relying on that as much. It's um, interesting you say that. It's like the third movie ha- just like has more to it. Um, this movie, I think he was really experimenting. I mean, you can cue up the scene right now, Mark. You can kind of play it in the background. Um, you know, this is the this is the referenced fight scene um, from this film. But like, I mean, so yeah, this is like a little, that's like two seconds. for. So this is like a little longer. Cox is 70, by the way. He's 70. Yeah. I mean, this is like this is longer than like two seconds. Yeah, cut, 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 cut. Yeah, shaky cam up close. Yeah, I remember watching this in theaters, and I remember when I was reading about it, and people were talking about it. Like, it's that shaky cam up close stuff where like right. like doc like he he calls it his documentary style shooting when it's 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 not. <laughs> it's well, you just it's it's kind of difficult to tell exactly what's going on a lot of the time yeah i mean it takes away from the fight kind of because you you know he wants you to feel like you're right there next to it yeah but like that's not really what you feel like yeah it's just well it's just a lot of like muted tones of like you know sort of blacks and tans and like you get these the big action moments but like a lot of the way it's shot is yeah it's it's it's, i I think that it's just it's just like we talk about with man on fire with tony scott when, when people start to get their style it, their style smooths out over time, but when they try that drastic thing at first, and I think he was in a period because if you if you watch like United '93, like yeah, it's very different. It doesn't it doesn't rely on that anywhere near as much. If you if you go further into his career, I, I'll be curious to see how Jason Bourne looks. Um, if it's if it feels a lot like watching this movie, or if it's because he's directing it, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's interesting too. Did you read about how uh, the news the magazine thing they were saying like he was just walking around set <clears throat> after this room was set up and he was just looking at things like what can we use here and so he like picked up the magazine he like rolled it up real tight he started like hitting he's like this kind of hurts yeah and then he had uh he would walk around and just hit people on set (laughs) like see (laughs) see we could use this and so damon and and i ah, this guy's name is escaping me right now unfortunately uh before the scene yeah that before every time like on set before filming any part of the scene they'd be sitting there and they'd just hit each other with the newspaper or the magazine and they both get like welts and bruises from it yeah so like it's legit. 
If, yeah. you, if you know how to fight with a magazine, it, it, you can do some work. Well, so in the House of Munich, when Jason Bourne uses the rolled newspapers, something I pulled, um, he is using a, a martial art derived from Eskrima, an old Philippine martial art also called Arnas or Kali. The fighting style is mainly used – it's used with sticks to fight. Oh. Um, but it, in modern times, the use of everyday objects is taught, so including ball pens, as seen in Bourne Identity, rolled up newspapers. And the film is combined with Bruce Lee's Jeet Kune Do. Ah, Jeet Kune Do. So – that's sweet. Yeah. I wish I could fight with a newspaper or if a you magazine. Were fucking Jason Bourne, you could. See, I yeah. love that guy. Um, so anyway, yeah, that's kind of Greengrass. <clears throat> Greengrass is super smart. He wrote a book about like government espionage, I think, in Britain that was banned from the country because it exposed too much of what was going on with the MI6. And wasn't it all based off of just his speculation? And no, stuff, I think he, was he it... had like real information. Okay, or, there, there's some there's some crazy shit you can read with with uh, Greengrass. That's that's pretty wild stuff. He's a little too smart for his own good. Yeah, exactly. Uh, exactly. But he's awesome. Yeah. So. So getting into critical and box office here, uh, Universal released this movie. It cost only $75 million to make, so it was it was a substantial investment, but they knew, based off the success of the first one, that it was going to be huge. Yep. Um, <clears throat> it opened July 23rd, 2004, $176 million domestically, 112 worldwide for a grand total of $288 million in a 2004. A lot of money. Which it, ranked uh, eighth domestically uh, on, their, on the list for the year there. You can see... Um, with Troy coming in 13th. Of course. Of course. <clears throat> National Treasure coming in directly behind it. Day After Tomorrow. Good old Emmerich. Wow, it made... <clears throat> excuse me, I'm sorry. It made more money than National Treasure. Yeah. That's pretty big. I th- actually find it surprising that it made more money than Troy. Um, I do too. Yeah. Ocean's 12, so this is right. Yeah, the next one had to have been a few years later. <clears throat> um, but yeah, Shrek 2, Spider-Man 2... I'm actually shocked that it made more money than so many of the movies on that list. Yeah, totally. Shark Tale? I would have thought Shark Tale made more money. Yeah. yeah. And that was like when Will Smith was still in his like $20 million every single movie. Everything, well, every movie makes over 100 He has the 11th and 12th highest ranked movie on the list. Yes, he sure does. And those are both pretty good. The Incredibles. That doesn't surprise me. Harry nah, Potter. movie's awesome. Yeah. Um, Meet the fuckers. <laughs> Love it. Uh, yeah, so this movie opened at number one, $52 million. And it's got a 7.8 on IMDb. And I think... Ultimatum had an 8.2. Something like that. Something like that. Yeah, it's it is not in too a 250. Far from it. Um, this movie f- kind of follows our, our usual general rating scales with Rotten Tomatoes 81%, 74%, and 90% based off all top and audience reviews. 90 on the audience. <clears throat> what, I wonder what an audience gave Ultimatum. I think it was like 92. Something right It was a little higher, yeah. Okay. I mean, it was, you're right. I mean, it is generally yeah. higher all the way across the board. Um, so, someone from Time Out magazine wrote. Director Greengrass proves himself equally adept at action, building on the edginess of Doug Lyman's original with a feverish handheld camera and frenetic editing. So it's like, yeah, pretty much pointing out what people remembered this movie for. Like the biggest change from the first one. Yeah, right. And then uh, James Berardinelli, Berardinelli. from Real Views, I think we referenced this guy a decent amount, falls short of its predecessor in almost every area except perhaps acting. Hmm. Looking back on those two movies now, because... I mean, now we've seen each of the Bourne movies from a critical eye in a, within the last year, right. um, which is not something I had done in a long time. I hadn't seen the first or second in a while, and it had been a few years since the third one either. Yeah, true. And I had never seen the fourth. Um, looking back on it, like, the style that Greengrass introduces in two and three, while very interesting, still, I think, falls short of the first film being the best. I still think that now, in retrospect... If I was going to make like a, you know, if if, the, if any of those movies are going to go on like some sort of iconic top movies list for me, mm-hmm. I think it's the first movie goes on there. Even though I think the third movie like in some ways feels like a better movie, 
it doesn't hit like the first movie hits. Yeah, absolutely. And and I completely agree. Even though I said that this is the greatest born for me yeah. movie and character, that doesn't mean that I think it's the best yeah. of the franchise. Just like I said earlier with what I was talking about. Fellowship, Batman Begins, A New Hope, yeah. and Identity, these are all the most important. And Definitely. they're the most important for a reason. Now, whether I enjoy the installments after that more, that's that's a different topic. Now, I don't think Mission Impossible 1's the best. I completely agree with you. And I don't even think it's one of those where, like, the later movies are better, but it owes everything to one. One's a completely different kind of movie. It does kind of stand on its own. But you love Brian De Palma. <laughs> Uh, Do you know that in his day, like, this is, like, why, in his day, Brian De Palma was, like, one of those, he was, like, a Nolan Spielberg, like, level, like, the biggest of the big, stylistically brilliant, like, the guy, the kind of guy that, like, would open a movie and, like, people would see it because it was a Brian De Palma You hear that, like, De Palma's making a new movie. Yeah, that Tarantino, a new Tarantino movie's coming out, like, that that type of thing. In, like, Tarantino's heyday, but, like, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, I think it's just crazy to me that like he's he, he I guess he just got old. But in any case, um, let's get let's get into favorite line. Let's get into favorite line. <laughs> I hope we have the same favorite line. Oh, do you? It's a Cox oh. line. Oh, it is. is it what point? is yours? You're starting to sh- what? What is it? Look, Pam, I've given two marriages to this bureau. I've shoveled shit on four continents. I'm sure his shit not going to throw it away for like whatever he says there. Yeah, that's I, a great one. My favorite part of what he says is that I've given two marriages to this bureau. <laughs> like somehow Brian Cox and the character that he is was able to get married twice. Not only that he was able to get married twice, but also the fact that like he thinks that it's like his commitment to the bureau that chased his wife away. Like <laughs> yeah. he's like such a just like, a, look at you, Brian. Yeah. What do you think? You just like, seem like such just like an angry chauvinistic like sexist like, condescending asshole. Yeah, everything about it's all the bureau. Yeah. You're standing in a big puddle of shit, Pam. You don't have the shoes for it. <laughs> he's just like... Love because, it. Because when she takes over the operation and they're in the office, he's so disgruntled. Oh, he's so mad. And he's like a pouty child, the way he, he like paces around. I feel like he has like a book of just like one-line insults that he just reads just like angrily in the corner whenever something doesn't go his way. Yeah. <laughs> completely. Yeah. So yeah, that's my favorite line. I okay. like that both of them are Brian Cox have nothing to do with the movie. Like, Brian Cox may be the best part of this movie. It's quite possible. Yeah, I mean... I think the best actor in the whole thing is probably Pam Landy. She does a good job. She does a really good job, but I just hate her. I forgot. So she's not in the first movie. No, she's not. This is the introduction of her. Yeah, she's in two, three, four though. Yeah, and she'll definitely be in five. Or she's not in four. Is she in four with Renner? I can't remember. That movie was so forgettable. It's weird, right? Yeah, for how much I love all the people in it, it is so forgettable. Yeah, I remember almost nothing about it. Um, So we aren't going to do hero villain rankings this week. We will. We will come up with an updated list. That list, if you guys have been following the show for a long time, you know, has gotten so long. It's very hard on the screen for us to actually kind of do justice to the ranking idea to even mm-hmm. really like look at everything all together so i think uh we're gonna kind of revisit that soon with maybe a new approach yeah but, but we've got something else in place for it today yeah so uh guys we've been interacting on twitter and max brockman 453 on twitter posed the question of the three major action franchises that being born bond and mission impossible mm-hmm. which deserves to die right if you were gonna have to end one of those franchises now um, or 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 not now, but which deserves for the next movie to be its last? Um, which one would it be? Well, damn, Ben, that's a good question. I wonder if our fans, yeah, have good questions for us every week that we could bring on the show. So what we thought is, guys, a new segment we're going to introduce on this show is AMA Question of the Day. That rhymes, and you know it does. Yes, it does. Um, so, guys, if you tweet questions throughout the week. 
Um, we will be pulling one Twitter question every mm-hmm. single week uh, that we will be using on the show and having a debate, uh, which we are about to do right now on that subject. So again, follow that Twitter at AMA Podcast with the hashtag. Uh, let's see, should be AMA question. Sure. Hashtag AMA question. Uh, and, and let us know what you think the question of the day for the movie in question. So, so by Monday every single week, there will always be a confirmation of what that movie is. Follow the Twitter. You'll see there will be a poll. Uh, we'll announce it. Um, we will pitch some movies in just a second. But uh, when, when you have an idea for the question of the day, hashtag AMA question. We'll pull it, put it on the show. Absolutely. So for today's question, which do you choose? You know, it's tough, man. And and the reason for this is because I don't really want to live in a world where there's no Jason Bond or James Bond. Right. Uh, that being said, James Bond franchise has been the worst for me over the last 10 years, yeah. 15 years, whatever it is. They're like all bad. They're, yeah. I mean, there's, there's some slight good, I mean, there's, there was, uh, you Casino's know, Skyfall great. was all right. Casino was great. But other than that, yeah. they were all pretty much garbage. Yeah. Even all the way back to Goldeneye. Goldeneye's like okay. Goldeneye's yeah. like entertaining for its for its time. It was great. Like being like, a kid growing up, it was awesome. So, but I don't want to live in a, in a world without James Bond. And there's no way there's not going to be a James Bond. So that being said, I think Jason Bourne needs to to die. You I think, think that, that Bourne Five has to be the last one. I think Bourne Five or Six needs to be the last one. Whereas, and the reason for that is, is that when they brought Jeremy Renner into Legacy, it just wasn't the same. It just wasn't. There just there just wasn't something there that I loved about what makes me love those movies, and that's the journey that, that Jason Bourne's taken. Now, that being said, Ethan Hunt being gone, yeah. being replaced by Renner in that franchise as well, which is very odd, yeah. I don't think that works either, but I, I think if I have to pick one, Jason Bourne has to go because he's the most standalone hero. It is all him on his own always. Yeah. He's getting old. It's getting tired. Jason Bourne 5 needs to be the last one. Yes, of course. yes, sir. All right, so um, we've got a couple folks in the chat saying Mission Impossible, like you mentioned, because Cruz is going to be leaving. Um, but I think they keep going bigger and bigger and bigger with yep. the stunts, with the events, with everything. It's going to hit a ceiling, and to be perfectly honest, I wouldn't be as disappointed if Mission Impossible was the next one to go off. So, Mr. Donica, you're going to go with Mission Impossible. I'm going with Mission Impossible. And I'm going to go with Bourne, even though it's probably my favorite of the three. Yeah. What are you going with, man? I'm going to say Mission Impossible has to die. Yeah. Um, Mission Impossible dying is tough. I mean, you can basically... Okay, I'm, I'm with you entirely on the Bond thing. Like, right. But Bond has been recast over and over for years. So, and none of us don't... None of us want Bond to not be around. And, like, and like there's... You try, you try again with the next James Bond, mm-hmm. if it, like, maybe it hits. Like, it's... That franchise is built on recasting, so I don't think that getting rid of James Bond makes any sense. When you ask the question, is it born or is it is it born or is it um, Mission Impossible? Like, I'm okay with non-blockbuster Jason Bourne movies. I don't know if Renner's the guy, right. but like, I'm okay with like Tony Gilroy scripts, like Greengrass directed. Like, even if you start to back it off, as long as you keep the same tone, the same feel, those movies are sweet. Like, okay, great example of something. For whatever reason, this week. I had never watched either of those Alex Cross movies that Morgan Freeman was in. <laughs> Kiss the Girls and Long Came yeah, a Spider. Yeah. But I remember them coming out in the 90s. Like, I remember, like, they were just, like, cable movies. Yeah, they're sweet. And, like, I love Seven, and, like, he had a run of movies like that. So I, on Amazon, two nights this last week, watched Kiss the Girls, and then I watched Long Came a Spider. And they're not great movies. Nope. They're very entertaining. They're, like, kind of whodunits. Yep. Morgan Freeman's great as that character. And, like, 
I'd be, you know, it's like I'm okay watching those kind of as B movies and like I'm happy they exist. I'm not okay watching a B Mission Impossible. No. And so once Cruz leaves that franchise, you you're not going to be able to sell me on somebody replacing Tom Cruise as Ethan Hunt. It's just not going to happen. There's no, there's right. no way there's a Mission Impossible movie that stars Chris Pratt or that stars Michael Fassbender or that stars or Renner. You can't see Renner taking over like. No, like, you didn't I, like him enough in four. I mean, not even that, but he he's just, fine. It's just like Tom Cruise is the only Tom Cruise. Yeah, there's 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 a quality to those Mission Impossible movies that's like it's kind of otherworldly. Like you can't really believe that there's a human being over fifty who at this point is still doing it. Yeah, and like I'm not going to be satisfied watching a Mission Impossible movie with somebody else. I'm just not. It's like the Fast and the Furious movies can continue to add characters, but those original guys, the ones that are all still alive, of course, will continue to be in those movies. Yeah. Like, those are so many supporting characters. It's not like I watched those movies for Vin Diesel. I didn't watch those movies for Paul Walker. I don't watch those movies for any specific character. Yeah, and honestly, if Tokyo Drift was just a better movie, it would have been fine. It's not that I missed the people in it. It's just the movie sucked. The, the Mission Impossible franchise hinges on Tom Cruise, and it hinges yeah. on it being a huge thing, whereas, like... If you give me Jason Bourne and it's another Renner movie or like you give me Jason Bourne and it's like who's like a brooding like could be an awesome Jason Bourne type of like action guy. What if Liam Hemsworth turns out to be a good actor? <laughs> Liam Hemsworth gets right. gets jacked and just turns out we like what if that's what happens? Like who knew Matt Damon was going to be a great action star? We knew he could be art. We knew he could be art house. We knew he was handsome. But like yeah. he proved everybody that he was like he was that guy. What if it's Liam Hemsworth or it's some guy like that? Who, I think Pine could pull it off. Yeah, Pine. I mean, they made they, Pine do that. They, they, uh, Chris Pine played the Jack Ryan character, Shadow Recruit. Yep. Yeah, that's him. what makes me think so as well. So a guy like that, like Jack Ryan Shadow Recruit, is a great example of a movie that was not, I think it was a major release, but like I don't think it anyone just saw it. forgot about, yeah. Yeah, but like someday, if I'm home and that's on Netflix, and I'm like, oh, I'll see if this movie's Check okay. And it turned out to I be think, good. I think Bernsey liked that movie. Shadow Recruit? Yeah. yeah I feel it, like... If it turned out to be good, I'd be like, sweet, happy hmm. to have watched this. That's never going to happen with the Mission Impossible movie. So that's all right, all right. I don't know. I feel okay. Did I just convince you? I don't think so. I don't think so. I, I just don't think either of them can keep going on. Really? I think the only one they can keep going on is Bond. Both of them need to die soon because both the reasons that the, that make those franchises great are getting too old. Yeah. I just think that Tom Cruise is a little older. That's it. And a little more awesome. A little more awesome. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. I can't wait for Mission Impossible Six. Uh. But yeah, so that was uh, that was the AMA question of the day. Yeah, so guys, tweet in your questions for next week's film. Uh, we'll be getting the pitch in just a second. Um, la- we're not going to recast this week because we have recast this cast several times. Mm-hmm. Um, this movie, there are three action movie categories. Which of the categories does it fit into? Totally ridiculous, totally legitimate, or ridiculously legitimate? For those of you that are wondering what that is, totally legitimate are movies like The Fugitive or movies like Terminator 2 mm-hmm. hold together extremely well. They don't really feel like you laugh unintentionally. Totally ridiculous is what it sounds like. Face Off, Con Air, movies that are just completely absurd. And uh, movies that are ridiculously legitimate are the middle category. The Rock, Point Brick, Speed, Predator. You laugh kind of unintentionally, but they're grounded. They keep you engaged the whole time. Um, they're absurd, but like they're pretty well put together movies. Um, they're very compelling. For me, Supremacy, it's totally legit. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would I would agree. This franchise takes itself very seriously. It doesn't really lose me at any point. Yeah, and, and this movie doesn't or this franchise doesn't hinge on comedy at all like the other two do. Yeah, there's there's no comedy at all. Mm-mm. But I also don't laugh unintentionally. So Right. Yeah, what is it what was that thing that we pulled? Jason Bourne doesn't smile once in this whole movie? The entire movie. Not even with his wife in the beginning, because it's already stressful. Well, you say wife twice now, are they were they married? I just keep calling her that. It's not his wife. Okay. I mean I don't know if they did. No, they didn't get married. They didn't get married. Yeah. Yeah, he would never They would have 
She would have. Could have. She would have married like one of his like aliases. Yeah. John Michael Caine or something, whatever, like from the first movie. Yeah. Um, but uh, in any case, guys, there's only one thing left, and that's called the pitch. What are, we, what are we pitching this week? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what to pitch this week, man. It's it's tough. It's getting interesting because we've got all these movies coming out that we've kind of built up to do. Yeah. <clears throat> so what if we just do standalones? What if what, why don't we just pitch Reacher and Unstoppable because we're and fine. Equalizer. <laughs> Uh, it's true. We can't do another. We can't do another. Tone. We can't burn our last one. We gotta save it. We gotta save it. It's a shame because Chris Pine, but it, it's not the moment. It's not the moment. Um, to so Jack Reacher or Jack Courtney's in that or Equalizer. I like Equal. Why don't we pitch fucking Equalizer or Safe House? Okay, we haven't. Yes, we haven't seen Safe House. We right? have neither of us have seen Safe House, and we have never done a show. Or, I mean, a movie on the show that neither of us have seen. Yeah, and I've heard that movie's pretty sweet. Is there a third, like, kind of bad Denzel movie? I don't know, we just did a Denzel movie. We just movie, did a actually. Denzel movie, no. So we got we Equalizer. Could those, we could pitch it. You could do a triple pitch. Equalizer. Jack Reacher. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, or, like, is there... Why don't, we, why, don't we pitch, why don't we pitch Reacher, Safe House, Equalizer? Okay. Let's do the three. Okay. Well, do you have a favorite in there, Donica? <clears throat> I'm a fan of Reacher. I think Reacher is pretty badass. Okay. Okay, we pitched Reacher last week. Do you want to make make your make your play for it right now? Just why it's sweet? I, I mean, y- you kind of took the words out of my mouth, so I, I figure we just insert. I'll just insert. I'll edit the stuff that you said last week. <laughs> this week, just because I can't say it any better. Paste it over here. Yeah. yeah I mean, Tom Cruise being a badass and a movie that's getting a new installment that looks incredibly sweet. Yeah, the second the, one looks great. The new trailer looks awesome. Movie's it's, underrated. It's a, it's it's like it's a kind of campy in a yeah. way that like you watch it and you're like, if you want to criticize Tom Cruise and you want to say it's a bad movie, you easily could. Exactly. Easily. But if you want to buy in and like, there are some great fighting moments. The fighting's really sweet. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a to me that movie is a solid B minus, but it's a very entertaining B minus. Yeah, everything that he just said just. Put Denzel Washington's name in for Equalizer. Yeah. Because it's the same thing. Yeah. It's awesome. He's got, like, that cool, like, timing. He's like, hold on. Before I kill all of you, I'm going to time shit 15 seconds. See if I'm still 15 good. 15 seconds. And he's two seconds slow. But he's got, like, the sweet fighting and the counting down. He's, like, incredibly precise with his movements. He's old. He works in, like, a, a, a home improvement store. Yeah. Or a hardware store. And then the end of it is, like, an R-rated version of Home Alone. Yeah. He's got, like, the whole place set up with the all these... nail gun. Yeah, yeah, like, it's so cool. I thought that movie was so much worse than... I've, I've seen it, like, twice on cable the last two weeks. Yeah. Awesome. I've only seen it once. I saw Equalizer. I haven't seen Safe House, but I've seen Jack Reacher. Um, they're all entertaining, the ones I have seen, and, yeah. and like, we hear Safe House is sweet. Yeah, and then the reason for that we're pitching that is, like, how cool would it be for all of us to be in on a new movie for the first We've time? We've never seen before? Yeah. Yeah, it's another one of these, like, Denzel Washington overseas made lots of money, and we have no idea what the movie is. And I heard Reynolds is good in it, so those are the three, Jack Reacher, Equalizer, and Safe House. And Safe House. Those are our three movies. You guys can find those in a poll that we are going to put up as soon as the show's over. And that's going to be on at AMA Podcast. Once again, guys, thank you for watching. If you want to find me, you can find me at, at Ben Bateman Media on Twitter and Instagram. And you can find me on Twitter at Andrew Guy. We'll see you guys next week. Take care. From producers Maria Menunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network. We would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. 
I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals.